22, starting at verse 22 until uh, verse 32. So Genesis 32, 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent, all, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kerry. As Andy said, we're starting a series over the next few weeks looking at different encounters between different individuals and God. Mostly Old Testament, not entirely, and I give them freedom for whoever's speaking to choose their particular one. I'll be doing three of them, and I've chosen three encounters which have been significant to me over the last few years as we seek, as the song said, to hold on to God through all the ups and downs of life as we read the scripture and how God's met different people in the past so we can learn things about trusting God and holding on even when, as the song says, we don't fully understand. Uh, today we have Jacob uh, entering a new season as he crosses the river Jabbok. There's a whole new era ahead. We'll look at his fears and his anxieties and how God met him and what there is to learn. So let's pray that God will speak to us for our situation, each one of us, as we think about this story. We praise you, Lord God, our Father, for your great love for us. Praise you that you've made us in your image to know you and trust you. Forgive us when we think we know best. And you know what each of us is facing, different anxieties, hopes, fears, all the different things going on. Uh, and we pray that week by week in these coming weeks as we focus on your encounter with different individuals in Scripture, that you will meet with us and give us grace to trust you. And we ask it in your name. Amen. 
So Jacob is entering a new season, him crossing the river Jabbok back into the land of Canaan that would become the land of Israel. He's been 20 years out in Mesopotamia with Uncle Laban, and it's a new season and a new dawn for him, and we'll look at the things that he was concerned about. Now, for all of us, it's a new year. So for all of us, there's things that are new. For all of us, it's a year of emerging from the pandemic or learning to live with it. We don't quite know how that's all going to work out. Uh, for some, it's a chance, a choice to start emerging, having been fairly locked down. Uh, for others, there are different things going on in your life, new seasons, new beginnings, uh, new concerns. For us as a church, uh, this is the year when we become what the diocese is calling a mission hub, a resource church. We're not entirely sure what that's going to look like. Uh, the Lord's been pretty clear about the direction of travel, uh, but it's not entirely clear how it's going to look week by week and day by day. A bit like when God called Abraham and said, go to the promised land. The direction of travel was clear. <laughs> he needed a lot of guidance day by day. So there's some uncertainties for us as a church and for me as I lead as to what this is going to look like. Uh, and for all of us as individuals, there are different things. Uh, let me just recap the story of Jacob for those of you who don't know your scriptures as well um, as some. These stories in Genesis are great stories to read, and I encourage you just to, to read through them. Uh, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. God had met Abraham and said he would build a new family, a nation through him, and bless him, and through him all the families of the world would be blessed. Abraham has his son Isaac eventually, and he is the child of promise. Isaac has these twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, with Jacob grabbing onto his heel. Esau was hairy uh, and very physical and immediate, and his name Esau kind of means hairy. Jacob grabbing his heel, uh, the name Jacob kind of means he grabs the heel, and it's a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. And as we read the story of Jacob growing up, we realize he was a bit of a deceiver and a manipulator, and he deceived Esau out of the birthright and the blessing, which Esau didn't seem to care very much about. He just wanted to eat. Uh, and then when, uh, when Jacob, the father, sorry, when Isaac, the father, dies, Esau threatens to kill Jacob. So Jacob goes to Uncle Laban, his mum's brother, up in Mesopotamia, and works there. He falls in love with uh, Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he says to Laban, I will work seven years for your daughter, Rachel. So he works seven years, and they just felt like a week or two. Such was his love for Rachel. Uh, when the wedding comes, must have been quite a party, because he didn't discover till the next morning that he'd been giving Leah rather than Rachel as his wife. I still can't quite get my head around that. Uh, but he, Laban has deceived him. And he goes to Laban and says, what's going on? And Laban says, well, we have to marry the older daughter before the younger. I'll give you Rachel as well if you work another seven years. So he works another seven years. Uh, he grows rich through flocks. Laban's trying to deceive Jacob. Jacob's trying to manipulate his own stuff. Eventually, he's a fairly wealthy fellow. He's got a large family, children through his wives and their servants. Uh, 11 sons you heard in the reading, you probably thought, I thought there were 12. That's because Benjamin hadn't yet been born. Uh, Joseph has been. And one daughter, Dinah. And God meets him and says, it's time to go back to the land of Canaan. So 20 years on from when he fled from Esau, Esau threatening to kill him, it's time to go back. 
And there's a great suspense in this story as it builds up. He sends on flocks ahead with servants as gifts for Esau, looking to sort of pacify Esau. Or something. And eventually we get to the story which Kerry read for us, where Jacob is alone at the river Jabbok, ready to cross it to enter into this new era. A bit like Caesar crossing the Rubicon. Uh, it's, it's a real marker. And a man wrestles with him, who, as the story goes on, turns out to be God. And I think we can all identify with those times when we're anxious, when we're afraid, when we feel however much people around us support and love, we feel a bit alone, and we're dealing with God and our inner stuff. Uh, so what can we learn? Well, I've jotted down six things. I, I hope this won't go on too long. Uh, you know we have to stop in time for the children, end of the children's group, so feel, feel safe. Uh, but six things, six parallels between Jacob's situation and where we may be. Uh, the first one is to choose to be thankful, to look at the big picture. What I tend to do is focus on the problem in front of me and miss the big picture. And as Jacob approaches this nighttime wrestle with God, we read something of his prayer before, earlier in the chapter. So chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. He divided his family into two huge groups. This big picture, 20 years ago, when he was fleeing from Esau's death threats and going off to find a wife among his mum's family, God had met him at Bethel. You probably know the story of Jacob's ladder. He had this dream. Uh, there he was, just with the staff in his hand, maybe a backpack as well. Uh, and he has this dream of a ladder and the angels descending and God meeting him and promising to bless him. And he looks back and says, 20 years ago I had nothing. Now I've got all this family, all this wealth. Look how you've blessed me and I don't deserve it. And there's a humility coming in to Jacob. He'd spent his early life deceiving and manipulating. Now there's a recognition of just thanks for what God has done. Uh, and when you're facing something, I really commend this stepping up to the big picture. Look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing in your life in the big picture. It leads to a humility. And God finds it much easier to bless us when we're feeling humble than when we're feeling we deserve stuff. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, uh, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble or gives grace to the humble. And this sort of thankfulness and humility in Jacob is a really good way just to approach whatever you're facing. The big picture is that God is at work in you and me to make us more like Jesus. And he will use everything that happens, the good stuff that happens and the bad stuff that happens to make us more like Jesus. That is uh, the point of Romans 8.28, that famous verse from St. Paul. We know that in all things, the good stuff and the bad stuff, God is at work for the good of those who love him. And our good is not our comfort. I would love it if it was my, just my comfort. God's going to make life easy for me. He doesn't. God is wanting to make us more like Jesus. And he uses the difficult stuff, the good stuff, just the complex stuff. And he's doing this in Jacob. He's doing it in you and me. 
Uh, shortly before Christmas, I reread the biography of Hudson Taylor. You'll know he's one of my heroes that, who pioneered mission, uh, mission into inland China. There was a point where Hudson Taylor faced a Rubicon of his own, crossing a Jabbok, if you like, without the resources he needed. And he had two banners painted in Chinese characters, one of which said Ebenezer, one said Jehovah Jireh. The one means God has helped us this far. The other means the Lord will provide. And they became the two sort of foundations of the China Inland Mission. That God has provided for us this far, therefore we can trust him to provide for us going ahead. So that's the first thing. The first thing is be thankful. Look back at what God has done. He's never let us down yet. Uh, and that leads to a helping us to trust him with what comes next. Here's the second thing. The second thing is tell God what you were afraid of. There was no collusion. I didn't know what prayers Juliet was preparing, but at the start of the prayers, Juliet said, let's tell God about our anxieties as we approach this new year. Uh, and that's right here with Jacob. Jacob tells God what he's worried about. So chapter 32, verse 11. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children got all this stuff, he's sending it on ahead as gifts to Esau. But it's not the stuff he's worried about. It's his family, it's the children, there's the blessing of God that he'll make him into a nation. And he's afraid of Esau. Uh, he's quite right to be afraid. Uh, back earlier on, Genesis 27, 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I'll kill him. That was his last contact, pretty much, with Esau, 20 years before. And now he's going back. He knows God's called him to go home, but he has no idea what's going to happen when he meets Esau. It's a bit like those of you who are Lion King fans, when Simba is called to come home and he knows he's got to face Scar and be who he is. He doesn't know how it's going to be. And it's why those Disney films are so brilliant. They connect with this stuff in us. As I face what God's calling me to face, what's going to happen? Jacob can't control it. He can't manipulate it. He can't deceive it. Uh, he's going to have to just take what comes. And he's following God and he's afraid. And that song that Colin led us in, I don't understand. I am concerned, but I will choose to trust. Well, I have to confess that I feel a bit of this about leading St. Paul's into the next era. For the last 20 years or so, we focused on the health of the church, trusting that God will grow the church if it's healthy, and that has happened. We've learned to trust him financially. As we give our money away, he provides what we need. God's continually taken people and called them to go and serve him in different places, uh, in different ways, in different churches. But now there's a deliberate call on us as a church to look to plant new expressions of church, to help other churches that are struggling, not just to share what we've got, but to give. Not just money, but some of us will be called to go and help serve other churches and work in other places. Uh, and I confess to a slight nervousness. The end of the pandemic, here we are, we're struggling with enough volunteers to maintain our children's work and everything. Lord, how's this going to work out? It's much the same as with all our finances. God says give, and uh, we can't outgive God. How's it going to work as God calls different people to start new things elsewhere and we look to bless and give? Uh, and I confess to a certain nervousness about that. Uh, and that's where I am. I need to learn to trust God with uh, 
resources of, of all the wonderful people in this church and what he's calling us to do and not quite knowing how it will look. We know God has said he's doing a new thing. These verses from Isaiah have imposed themselves on us over the year, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Yes, he's blessed this church over the years, but we don't look back. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? When God first imposed this verse on me about three years ago, I said, no, Lord, I don't perceive it. But over those three years, it's become clear that this, this diocesan vision of mission hub churches and resource churches and our small groups becoming missional communities is part of this vision. We were beginning to get that when COVID hit two years ago. It's been mostly survival since then, but we can trust that God's preparing us. For, he's making a way in the wilderness. His streams are there. Uh, but I have my concerns about that, inevitably, as being responsible for overseeing the church. Uh, God has promised, though, that he is with us. All the way through the Bible, he says, don't be afraid. Someone counted it's 365 times. Uh, don't be afraid. One for every day of the year, if you like. Uh, one of my favorites is this one, Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So be real with God about your fears, but then choose to trust, not to be afraid. God had said exactly this to Jacob himself at that dream at Bethel with the vision of Jacob's ladder back in Genesis 28. God had said to Jacob, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. God says this to you and me. We know famously that Jesus is Emmanuel. The start of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20, says this. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you at home. I'm with you at work. I'm with you when you're on your own, uh, when you're awake in the middle of the night with what anxieties there are, when you're with people, when you're pretending all's okay, when you're not, I am with you. So be real with the Lord about your concerns. Is it finances? Is it relationships? Is it loneliness? Is it a change of job or a sense of call into the unknown? Is it emerging from lockdown? Is it health? Is it bereavement? Tell the Lord. So take the big picture, see how God's blessed you. Be honest about your fears. And then thirdly, wrestle with the Lord in prayer about this. This picture of Jacob wrestling uh, with this man who turns out to be the Lord is a wonderful picture of how we deal with God in prayer. Let's just read these verses again. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This mysterious person, is it a man, is it an angel? Then it turns out he's been face to face with God. Well, you know, if you've been a Christian any length of time, what it is to wrestle with God, his goodness, his love for you in the face of what's going on. 
And alongside that, the devil comes to tempt us, just as he did in the Garden of Eden, that we can't trust God, that God's a spoil sport. We know it's not true. But as we wrestle with all this, I was talking with someone recently who'd been through uh, personal sadness and uh, tragedy, bereavement, and they said to me, really I had to decide, did I believe God is good? This wrestling. Yes, God's there, but is God good? Does he love me? Uh, the scriptures tell us again and again, but we need to know that. We need, and it's partly through the wrestling that that happens. Um, I often have the picture of prayer. If you know if you've got a toddler who's about two or three who's really cross about something and they, they come to you and they start kicking you and pummeling you with their hands about how terrible life is. And you gather them in your arms and they pound away at you and then slowly they calm down and they fall asleep on you and the wrestle becomes a hug. That's kind of what's going on here with Jacob. He's got all these anxieties, he's wrestling with God and God meets with him. And we'll see as he goes on from there how things have changed. Now we need to do that. We need others with us in our small groups in threes and fours, but some of this stuff is us and God. Each day in our quiet times, I journal what's going on. I write really badly, and quite often I can't read my journals, but from time to time I'm quite careful about it. And each year I look back on them and I find there's a few themes that recur where God said the same thing half a dozen times. And it's kind of like this wrestle with what's going on, what should be changing, what should I be doing. Well, Jacob has always longed for God's blessing. I love that about Jacob. There's lots of things that are not good, but he's always valued the birthright and the blessing. And he's wrestling as he begins to sense this isn't just a man, is it an angel? Might it be God? He prays for blessing. So let's just read those verses again. When the man saw he couldn't overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, so his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means the face of God saying, it's because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Now, whatever else you think about Jacob's deceiving and manipulating, he's valued the blessing and the birthright. Esau didn't care about it. The book of Hebrews 12 tells us that Esau despised it, but Jacob valued it. Uh, the verse is there. See that no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Jacob values what God values, this blessing and birthright. And he holds on. So wrestle with God. Don't give up. That song that we had earlier, I will hold on. It's a choice. Even though I don't understand, even though I'm not sure what God's up to. I remember my old dad who went to glory 17 years ago praying one time. Well, Lord, I think you're making a real mistake here but uh, we'll choose to trust you. <laughs> and I guess we've, all, we've all had that where we think, what is the Lord up to? But he knows what he's doing. I love this promise from Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, 
do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. God never promises it's easy, but he promises to be there. And the wrestling is trusting that God is there and he's good. And like the toddler, pound away at the Lord uh, until you sense his arms around you and that wrestle becomes a hug. Fourth thing from this passage. Learn to walk with a limp. Jacob has his hip wrenched and for the rest of his days he's walking with a limp. Verse 25 When the man saw he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Verse 31, at the end of the story, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. He was limping because of his hip, as he would for the rest of his days. A weakness, a reminder that God was God and he wasn't, and yet a reminder of his encounter with God and that his weakness doesn't stop God's blessing. God usually allows each of us to have a weakness which is immensely frustrating to us. Do you remember St. Paul had this thorn in the flesh? We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was very irritating. Three times, said St. Paul, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power may rest on me. Paul learnt to walk with his limp, whatever it was, this thorn in the flesh. Jacob had to learn to walk with this limp. For me, this has been a bit of an issue down the years. I'm reasonably competent at doing stuff. Reports on me early on said Jonathan's quite good at doing stuff, so he does too much and none of it well enough. That's been my problem. And I try and do things as well as I can, in my, but the danger is doing it in my own strength. It's a good thing to do things well, but it's not good when we do it in our own strength rather than relying on God. I remember when I was a curate, the first time I had to preach when I was really quite unwell, but I couldn't get out of it. Everyone else was on holiday and I had to do it. And this older lay reader said to me afterwards, that was really good. You should be ill more often. You preach better when you're ill. (laughs) I thought, well, well, thanks. But the point was, something about my dependence on God meant that the sermon had more to it. There's something about that going on this week with the bereavement that's going on and yet sensing God wanted me still to carry on with preaching today. We don't do stuff in our own strength. We do it in his strength. We walk with a limp. And actually, there can be a strength in that. Um, Those of you who are cricket fans who will have woken up this morning to find out whether we survived the day, we did. Praise the Lord. Some of you will have grown up with, with us being mauled by the West Indies. Gordon Greenwich, their opening batsman. I'm looking at people of a certain age here. When he walked out with a limp, everybody went, oh, help. Because he didn't try and push singles. He just hit boundaries and usually did really well. They always said, beware of Gordon Greenwich with a limp. But there's something about when we embrace the weaknesses that God has given to us and trust on him, we can be stronger. God uses us more than if we just try to do everything in our own strength. In the past, Jacob had tried to do life by him manipulating it, him deceiving it. He'd done that to Esau. He tried to do it to Laban. Now he can't. 
he's got this limp. I'm very struck by what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 after those two verses. Verse 10 says this. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now I haven't quite got to that point of sanctification where I delight in weakness. I'm, I've got to the point where I accept it, where I think, okay, Lord, you'll probably do more good through this. But I don't like it. And I need to learn to walk with the limp that God's given me, the weakness that he's given me. So be thankful, take the big picture. Be honest with God about your fears. Um, whatever the third point was, it's there somewhere. <laughs> the fourth one was learn to walk with a limp. The third one is there somewhere. Wrestle with God, that's right, wrestle with him. Thank you, Andy's taking notes. I've got too many pieces of paper. <laughs> walk with a limp. The fifth one, listen for who God says you are. Listen for when he gets right. When we do this, there's something about who we are deep down that's where we're really wrestling. And God gives Jacob a new name, verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob. He grabs the heel, he deceives. But Israel, which means struggles with God, wrestles with God. Because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So for the Jewish nation, this is profound in their identity. They've never been a wealthy nation. They're not like the Greeks or the Romans or even the British Empire, anything like that. But they wrestled with God and hung in there. And the Jews know God still. It's profound, this identity. And God gives Jacob a new name. No longer the deceiver, but the one who wrestles with God and prevails, who hangs it. Who are you really? Now, all of us project to the world who we want the world to see about us, our persona, if you like. But one of the things about growing mature as people and as Christians is becoming who God's made us to be. Jacob had grown up with a lot of him wanting to be Esau. Jacob was the mummy's boy who liked, liked being at home. Esau was the sporty hunter who his dad dad's favorite there's a whole load of issues going on there anyway but Jacob wanted to be a bit like Esau he pretended to be Esau to deceive his dad out of the blessing initially uh, I grew up as a uh, an intelligent really a bit of an academic with lots of curly ginger hair and tortoiseshell national health glasses uh, good at maths Vicar's son, sort of had target tattooed across my forehead. I wanted to be a sporty, successful sportsman. I worked at my sport. I got reasonably capable at some things. But it's a bit like Jacob wanting to be Esau. There came a point of learning to embrace, well, actually, that's not who God's made me to be. He's made me to be me, and I need to lean into that. I still enjoy sport. I still wake up to find out whether England have survived the night or not. Uh, but that's just not quite who I am deep down. He's made me to be someone who loves studying the scriptures and teaching them. And embracing that has been one of my biggest joys. Who has God called you to be? And are you leaning into that? Or are you trying to be what other people want you to be? Could be a parent, could even be a long dead parent trying to become what they want you to be. Could be what you think the world around you wants you to be. But the truth is God's made you to be you and he knows about you, and only you can really be you. 
And Jacob had to learn to become Israel, not Jacob. Now, my name is Jonathan, which, which means Yahweh gives. Nathan is, the, Nathan is Hebrew for gives, so Nathaniel is God gives, Jonathan is Yahweh gives. So my parents sent out their birth announcement, thank you for this gift of the Lord. I'm not sure that's how they put it when I was a teenager. I think they weren't so convinced. I've been pretty good down the years at trusting God with money. I've preached up here many times about you can't outgive God, trust him with your money. But as I've said, I'm struggling a bit more with this giving away of people and resources and time elsewhere. How's this going to work out? And I need to lean into my name that as we give, we can trust God to provide uh, for me and for the church. So that's the fifth thing. Who has God made you be? Last one. Wait for the sun to rise again. This wrestling happens at night. And that is a real picture for the season, what's sometimes called the dark night of the soul. Sometimes the night can last weeks, months, even years. But the point, the time comes when the sun rises. Do you know this verse from Psalm 30, Psalm 30 verse 5? God's anger may last for a moment, but his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I was struck reading this story of the last verse of our passage, pretty much, verse 31. The sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. But the sun rose. And I'll just give you some hints into the next chapter. It's not just that the sun rose, but there's the sense of God's blessing on him, and God's gone before, and it works out okay with Esau. Uh, when you read the story, it's several chapters building suspense of Jacob worried about meeting Esau and sending on the flocks and then dividing his family into two groups in case Esau butchers one. And he's, and he's alone and worried about what will happen. But the sun rises, and the next day... Instead of hiding at the back, afraid of Esau, he's at the front going to meet him. There's a new courage. While he's limping, there's a peace about him. Uh, let's read the, some of the next chapter, chapter 33, 1 to 3. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, then Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead, this is the new courage, and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. And Jacob asks him, well, let's read it. We've got a few minutes till the children's groups need to be collected. Let's read on from verse four. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they bowed down. And Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, said Jacob. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I've found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Just that night before, he's seen God face to face. He's called that place Peniel, face of God. And now this favorable meeting with Esau is like God's face shining on him. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me. I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. 
there's something about that sun rising and him sensing God's grace. We go through these seasons. Sometimes they're changed. Sometimes it's obviously with bereavement. But the morning comes. The sun rises. Hold on to the Lord, waiting for that day. And for his face to shine on you. His face in Hebrew is an idiom for his presence. And next week we'll be looking at Moses' encounter of God and Moses saying, unless your presence goes with me, I'm not interested. It's literally unless your face goes with me. So whatever you are facing, we hold on looking for God's blessing. So as we come into land, how does this apply to you, to your circumstances, to this new year, to your fears, to your anxieties? What's God been saying to you as we've held up this story of Jacob a bit like a mirror? For me, it's a new season in my life. I'm getting older and slower. I'll be 60 next year. I'm trying to come to terms with not being 40 anymore. Got three grandchildren and two more on the way. That'll be five within three years. If they go on at this rate, we'll all be in trouble. <laughs> but it's a new season in my life. I've got to embrace getting older. There's a limp there. I'm not, I don't have the energy I had when I was younger. I need to embrace that limp, but maybe the Lord's got other things. Uh, the PCC is has said they're affirming me in this wider role of working with the diocese to see how we plant new worshipping communities and strengthen other churches and the thing about being on General Synod. I'm concerned as I spend less time actually hands-on with St Paul's, how's that going to work? But God is bringing people and he has gifts for all of us. So for me, this is a, okay, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'll trust in you. How is it for you? What do you need from the Lord? Uh, when we get to the end of our resources, often that's the best place because then our weakness becomes his strength. Can I invite you to stand and the band to come back? We'll take a few minutes praying into this and then we'll worship together. Lord, you know each of us. You've made us. You know us by name. You know what's deepest within us and you know those of us who it's a particular time for us now, a bit like Jacob at the Jabbok. But we pray, come by your spirit on all of us. For those who are in a sort of happy, settled season, deepen the relationship with you such that when the storms next come, we can hold on. For those of us going through things at the moment, fill us with your spirit and strengthen us to trust you, to wrestle with you through the night till the sun rises again. And for all of us, we pray, come Holy Spirit and minister to us. Take whatever it is you've been saying to us and write that on our hearts, our deepest being, and give us grace to trust you. Let's just be still for a minute.